Dead Rock Thrills and Chills Month. <laughs> Welcome back to the Dad and Rock Podcast. This is Sean. And this is Chris. Hey, we are back at it one more time here this October for our Thrills and Chills. What's up, man? I'm so thankful this is over. Uh, no, <laughs> no uh, I've been, uh, been kind of under the weather a little bit, you know, fighting the, you know, the weather change and yeah. a little bit of cold and the you know, sinus infection hit my wife. So it's been a, been a rough week, to say the least. Yeah, it is the season for uh, colds and flu anyway, and then you throw COVID in the mix and you're just like, oh, God, it better not be COVID. Oh, please. <laughs> yeah, I'm not a really high anxiety person, but when I'm sitting here and I'm like, I take a deep breath when I cough. Yeah. I'm like, I know it's just a cold, but it's like in the back of your head, you're thinking it's one of those things that they say is a symptom. Mm -hmm. Just just push that crap out. Right. Take your NyQuil, wake up in the morning, you'll be fine eventually. Yeah. (laughs) Do I have a fever? Am I getting headaches? Yeah, that kind of thing. You're you're looking up the checklist. But yeah, hopefully it's just a cold and you're just uh, pushing through it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Before all this happened, though, uh, my wife, Janessa, she got the sinus infection. And we were invited to this like little Halloween party, and mm-hmm. we were going back and forth. I mean, we've we've struggled with this, you know, decision as most parents are right now. Yeah. On what to do with Halloween, should we do anything? Are we doing trick or treating? Or you know, I mean, we've discussed this in the past. And uh, when they reached out and you know invited us, both my kids seen it, and they went crazy the minute they seen it. Oh yeah. So it had been really hard to tell them no. So we decided, since I was the only one at the time feeling healthy, uh, I'll take them over there. We'll spend the, you know, a few hours over there. They'll play with their friends. I'll see some of our adult friends who we don't haven't seen in quite some time. Right. And uh, just have a good time in the evening. And it wound up being a blast. But, you know, the back of your mind, you're thinking, man, I hope nothing you know, stupid is going to become of this just because we let down our guard a little bit here. Yeah. Wait, how many days ago was that? Uh, <laughs> I'm just giving you crap. You, I'm sure you probably got whatever Janessa had previously. Yeah, more likely it was her sinus, whatever caused her sinus infection to go ahead and uh, pop up. But yeah, she's she's so used to it this time of the year. It always happens to her. And it was one of those things too. She was like, "It's starting to happen. I don't know if I can get and see the doctor. If I call the doctor and say this is happening, they're going to tell me to go ahead and I'm going to have to get tested before they can see me." Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, so since we knew what it was, she sent me to the store to get her some Sudafed. Mm-hmm. And I'm coming back with the Sudafed. I'm like. We know what's going to happen. This isn't going to fix the problem. You need an antibiotic. Right. And she's like, well, and just kind of hemming and hauling about it. I'm like, mm-hmm. you have to get seen so you can get your antibiotic. And eventually I was able to convince her to go ahead and do one of those uh, virtual meetings. Oh, okay. So she did that. She talked to the doctor for not even, she said 30 seconds. He's like, he agreed with her wholeheartedly, got her the antibiotic, and she was done. Oh, wow. And now she's, she's feeling a lot better today than she was at that point. Oh, well, there you go. That worked out. Yeah, she was like, she was really like, I don't want to go to the doctor because I'm they're going to tell me to do this, and I don't want to do this again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you guys have already gone through the uh, COVID testing process. I don't blame you. I've I've been able to avoid it thus far, knocking on fake laminate wood, but hopefully I get to keep avoiding it. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to do that again. I knew that if I if I call a doctor and say I'm feeling, they're going to you know shove something up my butt and wiggle it around or <laughs> my nose or wherever. <laughs> However, they want to do the test. <laughs> I don't know what doctor you're going to. <laughs> oh, I, I get concerned when I feel both hands on my back. <laughs> well, that sounds like fun. So you had a bit of a uh, Halloween thing going on with the kids this week. We kind of did the same thing over the weekend. Verona had her cousin Danny over, and we decided to do a uh, Halloween scavenger hunt. 
Uh, my wife yeah. actually did a really good job. She found these rhyming clues on the internet, and we kind of hit them around the house with each little prize. And we went out and we got candy and little trinkets like vampire teeth and spider rings. And I think we got a couple of uh, LOL dolls as like the final prize. Uh, but we hid stuff around the house, and, and each time we would have a next clue. And it was just uh, it was a lot of fun, like watching them both figure out what the clues meant. Like, you know, <laughs> something that rhymed and, you know, where do you keep the milk or where is, you know, this? And they're like, oh, the kitchen or, you know, where do you get your clothes clean? And then they just, you know, make a running dash to the laundry room. And <laughs> it was just a lot of fun. They they had a great time. And honestly, it was something they may end up remembering more than just trick-or-treating because they both got dressed up in costumes. They both got a ton of candy and stuff out of it and toys. So they had a blast. <laughs> I'm not creative enough to do something like that. <laughs> I got to give it up to Christina. She did a good job. Yeah, and I'm the creative one in our relationship. Everyone means Janessa. And if I can't figure it out, <laughs> we're, we're doomed. <laughs> well, there's an idea. Just steal it. You guys got time yeah, exactly <laughs> we have a few more days yeah. <laughs> yeah so we are coming into an end of october topping off with halloween this saturday but of course we are also coming to an end of our thrills and chills month here at dad and rock we're reviewing <laughs> <laughs> i know we're both kind of excited was, this was our idea nobody forced us to do this but um it's, it's kind of it's you know it's it's made us you know spend about four extra hours each week to uh, dedicate to watching movies, which is something that's normally not on our slate, you know, with the podcast. So, you know, it takes a little extra time. Plus, you know, compared with the uh, the June uh, summer blockbuster, those were mostly movies that we had a bunch of nostalgia for, that we loved, that we hadn't seen in a long time. And I think some of these fit the bill. Like, I know Fire in the Sky was that way. Yeah. So, And some of these movies really didn't fit that bill. I mean, they were kind of a slog to get through. So, But yeah, this week we are reviewing Stephen King's Children of the Corn and Stephen King's Doctor Sleep. We're having a King week. Well, yeah, this was plenty. We figured if we're going to go about this, I mean, when we're running off the movies, like, what's the best way to end this? Yeah. And we figured Stephen King was the best way to go out. The master of horror. Okay, so we, we decided to do Children of the Corn here. It's, it's a movie that I haven't seen for a very long time. I know when I seen it, it messed me up as a kid. Yeah. It just, you know, just being kids, uh, the cornfields, I mean, South Jersey as a, as a lot of farmland. Yeah, you wouldn't know that. Uh, if you guys uh, aren't from Jersey or have never been to South Jersey, there's actually a ton of just farmland out there. That's where it got the Garden State name. Yeah, basically from, you know, I almost say Trenton South. You go Trenton North and it becomes almost New York. Yeah, New York's <laughs> armpit. But <laughs> and then I put enough deodorant on it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, this one here, I always remember because I remember watching. I watched a lot of these movies with my uh, my mom, Aunt Nora, yeah. all them down in Marstown. So that's already kind of a secluded little town. Yeah. And then there's like these tall cattails and everything. So, I mean, it's not corn, but it's still it's still creepy looking when it blows in the wind. Sure. Yeah. At night, you know, the uh, sun setting earlier, you were putting on a scary movie out, mm -hmm. out in the kind of rural area. I got it. Uh, it was fun. You want to go ahead and give a quick rundown of what the movie's about? Yeah. A young couple played by Linda Hamilton and Peter Horton. They are trapped in a remote town where a dangerous religious cult of children believes that everyone over age 18 must be killed. 18. Like I, I like I read the description and then that didn't even dawn on me to like three quarters of the way through the movie when that kid was getting that uh thing cut in his chest. Oh yeah. He was getting ready to be sacrificed. Yeah. Yeah, being sacrificed and being happy about it. Yeah, it's my nineteenth birthday. It's time for me to go. Yeah, I'm, oh, what? <laughs> he was like doing his duty. He was thrilled. I'm gonna go out there. I'm gonna go with him. I'm gonna go with the one that walks behind the corn. <laughs> what an oh, idiot. What? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so where, where do we start with this? I mean, this movie here is frightening on a few different levels, I think. 
Well, I have mixed feelings about this movie. So it it was made in 1984, actually the same year that Linda Hamilton was in the original Terminator. And that's, you know, when I saw her, I kept, kept just seeing Sarah Connor. Yeah, I had the same problem. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, when I saw these little kids pushing her around, I was like, come on, Sarah, you're better than this. Punch, punch <laughs> them in the face. You take on Terminators. But, um, you know, it's a simple enough premise. It's a simple story. I actually kind of like that. Um, it's not something that you would be able to do in 2020, I don't think. I guess their cell phone coverage in the middle of Nebraska might not be that great. But this couple, you've got Peter Horton. He's apparently starting like an ER practice somewhere in Seattle. I think they mentioned Seattle a few times. So they're driving across country. I don't think they were a married couple. I think they were just kind of starting a new life together out in Seattle uh, with his new practice. And Linda Hamilton's character, Vicky, was going with them and kind of starting things fresh. And they're driving through Nebraska. They hit a patch of well, I guess there's not much in Nebraska, just flat land and tons of corn. <laughs> um, they see signs for this town, Gatlin, and the opening of the movie, you see a little bit about what happened three years prior to their road trip in Gatlin. Yeah, no, it's it's a pretty jarring opening. Yeah. We hear that all these kids are going to the corn, but this one kid's dad wouldn't let him go. Yeah. So he's with him after church. You know, in this little diner, and that's when everything goes haywire. I guess all the adults from this town, every adult, decided to go get a piece of pie after church. <laughs> right, yeah. And that's when they were either poisoned or, you know, these kids somehow were able to muscle grown men to the ground and, yeah. and kill them. And that's, that's the big piece of pie that you kind of have to swallow here in the beginning of this movie that this small town the the children basically everybody uh, under the age of 18 was able to formulate this plan to kill every adult in town like you mentioned either you know poisoning people in the diner there or with you know we see weapons later we see butcher knives we see you know uh, scythes you know big old corn scythes that's kind of the uh, the memorable movie poster of just like a kid holding up a, a scythe in, in shadow well we see the, the- man in blue hanging up on like the cornstalk cross yeah police officer that i guess yeah. was uh, the last one to try to take them down but so these kids are following this leader by the name of isaac he's a uh, i don't know creepy if as hell he's very creepy i don't know if maybe the actor had some sort of a disease where like uh he was kind of a lot older but seemed younger um i don't know but he had a really strange voice and it was it was very weird but he became this cult leader with uh, this kid named Malachi as his number two, this redheaded, freaky-looking kid. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they apparently convinced these kids to and to uh, to do this deed, which, you know, I believe in religious zealots. I believe that cults can form this way. Uh, what I had a hard time believing, though, is that these group of kids would be able to do this in a town where you know every single person is packing. I mean, it's a rural Nebraska town. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I don't care if you have 20 kids walking up to your house with scythes and knives. Uh, shotgun will take care of everyone. Yeah, right. A shotgun with buckshot will knock them all down. Yeah, so that's a kind of a pill that you have to swallow in the beginning of this movie as far as its premise. Yeah, no, I was right there with you. The one thing that I thought was kind of scary in its own way is like you were saying, it's it's all, this was all being done in the name of faith. Yeah. They were doing it for the one that walks behind the corn. Right. How long, I mean, okay, so this happened three years prior. How long has this one that walks behind the corn been there? They yeah. say he's always been there. Yeah. So it's, I mean, you, you look now, I mean, there's always always something being done in the name of faith. If it's, you know, good works, bad works, you know, it's, it's just kind of how it galvanized them and turned them all into like ravenous little murder trolls. 
Yeah, <laughs> murder trolls. I guess that's a good term for it. These little corny uh, murder trolls. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's was kind of the cool thing about this story is that you could play this that you know this Malachi or this Isaac kid were really just you know nuts and they started this cult you know out of the blue from their own imagination. But no, it turns out there is some sort of a demon. There is some sort of an evil presence that does have a power out in this small town in Nebraska. And these kids just somehow kind of stumbled onto it and and started following it. You see it through some cheesy special effects later in the movie, but there is definitely a presence there. You kind of see it. It it reminded me of Tremors uh, (laughs) (laughs) with the rolling ground underneath the cornfields. But anyway, there is an evil presence that's actually causing all this. Yeah, and there's also, I mean, we see it at the very beginning where the one boy was trying to escape and then the two little kids were... We're hanging back. But he tries to get out, and Malachi actually finds him, stabs him. Yeah. And then he winds up on the road. Uh, I don't know how he was standing, but then he gets hit by, you know, Vicky and uh, and Bert. And that's kind of how they find their way almost into Gatlin. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're just trying to find their way out. I wouldn't think it would be that difficult when basically you're on a one road <laughs> that's just going straight forever. Uh, but the kids, you know, after three years of being there and kind of having their own run of this town... I guess they changed up the road signs to where they almost make it this confusing maze for anybody to uh, kind of get out. Or driving in circles. Yeah, they intentionally sort of entrap people, anybody that happens to be wandering through. Um, and Vicky and Bert, they kind of make mention that there's nobody, there's not even anybody on the road. There's no truckers or anything. They go a long time without seeing anybody except for this one gas station attendant. Uh, they stop and ask him for directions, and he wasn't having any of it. <laughs> no, kind of senile. Kind of. <laughs> He's yeah. like, yep, nope, get out of here. Got no gas, got no nothing. Get out of here. Yeah, and even though he wasn't any help to Bert and Vicky, the children of the corn were still watching the entire time. They killed his dog, and they killed him. So you, you knew these kids they were just nasty. I was like, hold on, why'd you take out the old man? He did nothing. <laughs> what? I mean, come on. Well, <laughs> that's, trying... that's actually part of the plot that you start to learn a little bit more throughout the movie is that Malachi, this redheaded number two, is starting to make his own rules. He's starting to go a little outside the lines as far as uh, listening to Isaac. Uh, Isaac is the leader. He says he kind of speaks for the one who walks beyond the corn or beyond the lines or whatnot. And there's a, a bit of a dissent where Malachi is sort of forming his own uh, leadership role with these kids. Jumping forward a little bit, he rises up and does his own thing, and uh, they all kind of turn on Isaac himself. But yeah, it, it's it's kind of crazy. I mean, the whole thing, the whole premise, I, I enjoyed it, but it's kind of, I think just like any other movie or Stephen King book, yeah, the ending is kind of abrupt. Oh, yeah. Especially a movie made this early. There was really no satisfying ending. It literally just had the title cards, The End. As these yeah. guys decide to just start walking, hoofing They're it. They're going to walk 18 to the miles next town. to that next town, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, uh, okay. And they had one final jump scare with that lady in the car, you know, the the girl that was, I guess, kind of Malachi's girlfriend, it looked like, or like it seemed priest like. Or, yeah, kind of. Yeah, and she jumped out of the back seat, and um, they knocked her out with the car door, and like, well, <laughs> you know, we'll we'll call somebody. And that's it. It just, there was kind of ended with a big ho-hum. <laughs> yeah, I was like, mm, okay. <laughs> oh, you're going to take these two kids, and they're just going to live with you, and no one's going to ask where they came from? <laughs> Yeah, and to be honest, that was kind of my deal with the whole movie. I think this movie has a reputation and an aura that is a bit bigger than the movie itself, if that makes any sense. It's a short movie. It's less than an hour and a half. It doesn't really have a great conclusion or a great ending. 
Um, the acting isn't all that great. I mean, Linda Hamilton is good, but like some of the kids, it just, you know, the visual effects aren't that believable. I mean, some of the blood looks like um, like tomato paste or uh, tomato <laughs> juice or something. The jump scares aren't all that effective. Um, there are some leaps of logic that you have to take as far as how the heck these kids were able to not only do this task initially, kill all the adults, but then not have like, oh, I don't know, the FBI and the local law enforcement and Nebraska state troopers follow up on. Or the, someone just kind of drive through the tent. Yeah, a cop drive through. Yeah. I mean, these these adults, I'm sure they have lives outside of this small town. They would have people outside this town wondering. Family oh, it's, members. Yeah it's, yeah, it's been a while since I've seen Joe the farmer from Gatlin. I wonder where he's been and then go check up on him. Yeah. Um. So, you know, to, to believe that these kids just were able to live off on their own in the small town for three years, at least, uh, is unbelievable, too. But once you kind of get through that premise, like I said, I mean, the, the movie itself, Children of the Corn, I think it's pretty famous. Like, it's a famous Stephen King work. It's a famous mm-hmm. movie. But I think the reputation is a bit bigger and scarier than the movie itself yeah it's gotten bigger than the actual movie probably would have ever been yeah i kind of agree with you with that the the name of it is actually bigger than the movie and it's actually grown into a franchise i think there's like three or more of these movies out there now oh i was thinking there's more than that i think it's like close to 10 because there's a lot of like direct-to-video movies because it's like it's like a like a cheap production you just go out in the middle of nowhere in a cornfield and there there you go yeah exactly there's your set get some kids um, <laughs> some creepy kids put them in some, <laughs> you know, beat up clothing and saying, you know, could be murders. <laughs> yeah, that'd be pretty easy. Yeah. Um, I, there's a lot. I don't know where the story goes from there. I'm sure maybe, you know, you have like the return of Malachi or Isaac at some point or whatever, but well, uh, Isaac came back. Isaac yeah. came back and said, you know, the one behind, he wants you too. Yeah. So he took both Isaac and Malachi and then they, you know, they burnt the cornfields. Right. That- so, I mean, that was pretty much the end of the movie though. That was how Bert kind of our protagonist was able to save the day between burning down the corn, which I guess defeated the demon. And then also having kind of this like maddening heart to heart with the kids as he's like, he's like surrounded by them. And he's like, do you think this is a real good idea? He's basically like (laughs) chiding them like a parent would be like, uh, you know, this is, he basically says, this is dumb. And then he runs away. (laughs) Um, And the kids are like, well, I guess this is kind of dumb. I don't know. It's been a while since an adult talked to him. (laughs) Yeah. Right. (laughs) But we watched, we we kind of glazed, glazed over that little girl that, uh, would be able to like draw what was going to happen. Yeah. Like foreshadow what's happening. And originally she wasn't allowed to even, even draw. I was kind of against the rules or whatever. I did like the little kids, uh, the brother and sister team that you kind of see at the beginning of this movie and they kind of, you know, assist our, our main two adults, Vicky and Bert. Um, they assist these. And, and at the end, I guess they're, it's, you're meant to think that these four become somewhat of a family, which is nice. I guess that's a nice ending for a Stephen King movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as, as a whole, I, I agree with your premise that it, the, the name Children of the Corn is grown beyond what the movie is. Yeah. Uh, but I think I'd still be willing to go ahead and give this movie a thumbs up. I, I enjoyed it. I don't know when I'll revisit it again, but I, I enjoyed it for this purpose. Yeah, I'm with you. It definitely wasn't bad enough for me to not enjoy it. I, I did like the, the premise enough. I did like... 
the setting enough and and the actors enough to enjoy it. Um, no matter if it felt a little uh, shortened or truncated, I'm interested in what the book is like. I'm sure they took a lot out of the book, so that'd be I've never read the book, so I'm interested in seeing kind of what the differences are. And if you're a Stephen King completionist, this is like a must watch. You have to watch this thing. Hey, Chris and I are going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Once every harvest moon, a talk show comes along that is so groundbreaking, raising the bar to such heights that other podcasts step back and say, wow, that show's got it figured out. With a host tempered in focus, commitment, and sheer will, this is The Derek Duvall Show. Pop culture, news, and interviews with fascinating people that channel the great Edward R. Murrow and Walter Cronkite. The Derek Duvall Show. Find him on Twitter and Instagram at Derek Duvall Show. And find his new episodes every Wednesday on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Podchaser. The Derek Duvall Show. The best thing to happen to hump days since the Geico camel. What, what? And we're back. Well, speaking of Stephen King, you know, books and movies and everything, there was one movie that was made that uh, is said that he has hated, and that was The Shining. Yeah. So... We might as well just dive into Dr. Sleep. What do you think? (laughs) Yeah, let's do it. So what's this one about? Years following the events of The Shining from 1980, a now adult Dan Torrance must protect a young girl with similar powers from a cult known as the True Knot, who prey on children with powers to remain immortal. Whoa. Yeah. Boogity, boogity, boogity. Now, you have seen Children of the Corn. That was one that you saw as a kid, but you've never seen Dr. Sleep. I know it's a more recent movie, but you didn't get a chance to see it in theaters, right? I did not know. This was one that was definitely on the list I wanted to see, and uh, I just never got a chance to see it. Now, it was just released last year. And how about The the Shining? Were you a fan of that as a kid? Oh, I enjoyed The Shining, yes. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now you sent me a uh, recap before I watched this one here, and dude, I, like I was talking to you before, I missed so much. Yeah. Of what was like they dove into. Like, I, I just, I, I kind of watched the movie for the movie. I didn't catch any other underlining stuff that was in the movie, which <laughs> yeah. is kind of crazy. Now, as an adult, I think I may want to watch it again just to kind of maybe if I can pick up on some of those other things. Yeah, I think there's actually a whole documentary called Room 237 that literally the documentary is all about the behind the scenes stuff of The Shining and all the different interpretations of that movie. Um, Stanley Kubrick created a masterpiece, a horror masterpiece back in uh, 1980. Uh, as Chris mentioned earlier, Stephen King actually wasn't a huge fan of it. He saw, he thought there were kind of too many liberties from the book and uh, too many changes uh, or changes that he didn't really necessarily agree with. But as far as cinephiles, uh, you know, fans of horror films and films in general, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining has gone down in history as just a horror classic like The Exorcist yeah. and, you know, just it's big time. I mean, it's one of Jack Nicholson's most memorable roles. Or when you see that, I mean, you, everyone knows the picture of those twins standing at the end of the hallway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that if you don't know anything else, you know that or the saying, here's Johnny. Yeah. You know one of those two. Yeah, exactly. So for them to, well, one thing, for Stephen King to attempt a sequel to his book a few years back was a big deal because it'd been years and years, well, decades since he'd written the original Shining. So he wrote a book, Dr. Sleep, that was a follow-up to The Shining. Now, here's a question. You, you may know this. I don't want to get ahead of myself, but the ending of The Shining was different than the ending of Stephen King's The Shining. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the fate of the hotel was different. Right. How did he merge that into the book? 
I think there was more of an internal like mindscapes battle between in the book between Dan Torrance and Rose the Hat. You know how in this movie kind of they visualize like the the maze in the snow as kind of like Dan's mind. Um, yeah. They kind of um, go tete a tete like in their minds. And that's kind of how it ends. And I don't think they actually go to the physical location of the Stanley Hotel. Um, or no, I'm sorry. That's the, that's actually the real version. The Overlook Hotel, uh, the Stanley Hotel, is what the location is based on. Um, but yeah, they they don't actually go to the Overlook Hotel in the Doctor Sleep book. And funny enough, the ending of the book, The Shining, is very similar to the ending of this movie. Instead of um, Jack Torrance burning down the the hotel with the boiler room, it's it's Danny this time. Getting ahead of herself. I the minute I seen that happen though. My first instinct was I smiled and I was like, okay. And now the author, Stephen King, is now happy because the original, his original uh, vision for the hotel is now gone. It's like it finally stopped the, you know, the cycle that the right. hotel was in. That that was my thing. And like I said, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Here. Yeah, we, I mean, we jumped to the ending, so we should probably talk about the rest of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this was, I mean, this was a phenomenal movie. I mean, there, there are very few movies right now that I sit down and say, this was a great movie. Yeah. Like, uh, and hands down, is there's a weird connection here. So the only other movie I've thought was phenomenal that I've seen in the theater recently. Now it's been a little while since it's been released. Yeah, but it's been the uh, uh, Hugh Jackman, the the Greatest Showman. Mm-hmm. I love that movie. I loved everything about it. It was a musical, so it's not everyone's cup of tea. But I went into it not knowing exactly what I was getting, and I loved it. Right. I thought the same thing here. Now me and Janessa are watching this movie, and there's a weird connection in this movie. Rose the Hat. Oh, was she in The Greatest Showman? Yes. Oh, wow, that's funny. She was the uh, the the Nightingale. Uh, she was she was an opera singer in The Greatest Showman. And the difference is, she's blonde in The Greatest Showman, and she's obviously you know uh, a brunette in this one here. Yeah. But she picked up on it immediately. As soon as she verified it, I could not see her another way again. So I was able to. <laughs> I, I, it didn't take me out of the movie, right? But the connection was funny to me. Yeah, that is kind of cool to see that. It's funny that you mentioned connections here because uh, there's a point in the movie where Ewan McGregor's Dan Torrance is walking through the Overlook and he actually sees his father's ghost as the bartender. Mm-hmm. And it's not Jack Nicholson, of course, but it's it's an a- another actor made up to look like Nicholson did in The Shining. You know, he's got that kind of that widow's peak and the hair going everywhere and the grizzle, right? Uh, and the eyebrows. Uh, apparently, that actor was once again Henry Thomas. Um, he was Elliot in ET, and he was in Fire in the Sky a couple weeks ago. <laughs> wow! So we are interweaving all of our movies <laughs> yeah. in our final week. We didn't realize that. <laughs> yeah, we didn't even realize there was connection. But uh, speaking of Ewan McGregor, I mean, he's kind of a tour de force in this movie. I mean, he's a he's a movie star, like. You see you and McGregor. I mean, it's Obi Obi Wan Kenobi for Pete's sake. Like, yeah, right. Did you have a tough time? Um, kind of losing Ewan and, and seeing him as Dan Torrance in the movie? I had no problem whatsoever. Yeah. he The movie sucked me in so much. I mean, I was just saying I've seen the other character from the other movie. Yeah. But even it, that didn't distract me too much. Once I got past the, hey, hold on, she's in another movie I really love. Yeah. I was able to be, like, be sucked into the movie itself and be able to basically cut out all other distractions and just be immersed within that movie. And there are very few movies lately that have been able to do that to me. And, uh, I almost wish I seen this on the big screen because I can only imagine yeah. what the actual how I would have felt in the theater over you know sitting in my living room. 
Yeah, I actually liken this movie as far as sequels go. It's almost like the the alien to aliens change where the first alien was like a straight up horror sci-fi movie directed by Ridley Scott. And then for the sequel, instead of doing the same thing again, they almost turned it into a sci-fi horror action movie. And it was directed by James Cameron. And you had the space marines and stuff kind of taking down more aliens. They kind of changed it up, gave it a bit of a different feeling. And the same thing here. I mean, you get the horror tones. I mean, this is this is like no bones about it. This is a horror movie, but it is also almost kind of like a superhero movie where you've got kids and people with these powers, the shining yeah. um, and these these sort of vampires that feed on these these special individuals with the shining to kind of keep themselves immortal. They're almost like vampires and uh, they in themselves have these magical powers. And it's it's a very much a story of like good versus evil. Like a, there's a showdown at the end at the Overlook as it's setting, and it just had a different feeling from the original Shining, but it had a ton of callbacks that I just I loved. They were so well done. Oh yeah, every time you turn around, there was something there. I mean, well, hell, we might as well start at the beginning here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, there was you know Danny was riding his his big wheel. Yeah. You know through the hotel, and it, I, I'm waiting for a jump scare there. Mm-hmm. I'm just waiting for it, and you know, it never really comes, and that all happens. And then they jump forward to his family and his mom. Yeah, in Florida after the yeah. events of the first movie. Yeah, so come to find out, he like he hasn't spoken since they left. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he you know has an accident because he sees the lady in the tub from room two thirty seven. Yeah, these ghosts are haunting him. They, yeah, they're following they're, him. Basically, yeah, they're following him. And then he he has a a buddy, Dick Halloran. Basically, was teaching him how to cage him. Or box him up. He told him he gave him a box. I think they were sitting on a bench. Yeah. And he's the only one that can, Danny's the only one that can see him. Right. And he hands him a box. And he said, you need to look at this. Someone taught me this when I was young. Mm-hmm. So apparently he was another person that had the shining that died. And now he's being a mentor to Danny in this instance to go ahead and be able to cage the demons so they don't haunt him his whole life. Yeah, Dick Halloran was in the first Shining, and he he was the one to kind of notice that little Danny Torrance had the Shining. He started talking to him telepathically, ended up getting an axe through the gut by uh, Jack Nicholson towards the end of the movie. So he died. Uh, but yeah, basically, little Danny is, uh, gets a visit from his ghost to to help him deal with the aftermath of this traumatic incident at the Overlook. And uh, it turns Danny into... This is something that I really enjoyed about this movie. It gave Danny agency as as opposed to just being a victim by yeah. this evil. That it's like, hey kid, here's a way for you to turn the tide and actually get back at these things. So Danny does. The casting in this was amazing too. I mean, little Danny and the actress who played Danny's mom who, you know... They looked all creepily similar. Looked and sound, the makeup, the hair, yeah. the wardrobe. They did a great job kind of matching those, those original actors from The Shining. But yeah, they gave Danny the ability to basically trap these ghosts one at a time as they're haunting him throughout the rest of his life. But it, it still ends up having a big effect on him. And we kind of fast forward to Danny later in life, and he's he's not doing so well. Oh, yeah, man. He turns into a junkie. Yeah. I mean, just a full-blown alcoholic. Who knows what, I mean, what drugs he's on. Yeah. Uh, we see him in bed with that lady. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then the kid, and he gets ready to, you know, take all her money because it, apparently she took his. And, you know, Dickie tells him, don't do it. <laughs> right. And uh, I don't know if we've seen him put it back or not, but I know he put the baby in bed with him. But he started to get that ability when he sees flies. Yeah. He knows it's that person's time to go. Right. And then he, he takes off because he's seen those. And he winds up running into, well, he goes up to, uh, I think it's New Hampshire. Yeah. 
and he runs into a new buddy, uh, Billy up there, where he's like, what are you doing up here? Are you riding your thumb? No one, no one gets up here on accident. Right. And he says, I'm running from myself. Yeah. So uh, somehow uh, he talks wherever he's running the room at. You know, rent him a room up top, you know, I guess like an attic type of room. And uh, she was pretty strict. She was like, you know what? No noise, no partying, no this, no that, no that, you know, $85 per week. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, and, <laughs> and and there's a chalkboard there and she wrote it on there. So you see it every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he's good for it. I mean, he's he's hit rock bottom and he's trying desperately to kind of claw his way out of that. Um, he's trying to get back to good, basically, after this uh, incident with this woman. And he has what seems to be a bad dream, but, you know, because he's got The Shining, this is a legit vision. That that woman ended up dying in that room, and yeah. so did her baby, because because of his neglect, essentially. He could have done something to ensure that those two would have been okay when he left, and he didn't do it. And he's running from this, this feeling, and I'm sure past occurrences throughout his life. And Dick Halloran comes to him one more time um, as a ghost. And he says, you know, this is kind of my last vision. And he's like, hey, you got some stuff to make up for, man. He said, you got to help that girl. Yeah. You, uh, you know, you've got some some making up to do. And this is sort of Danny's uh, objective going forward is to start fresh and start doing good in life. Yeah. But uh, there's another little character here uh, that we get introduced to. And uh, her name is about Abra. Yeah. This little girl lives in the suburbs, doesn't know what's going on. She, too, has the shining. Yeah, she's got the shine. <laughs> and uh, she writes hello on his board. They become like some weird like pen pals. They go back and forth on this chalkboard every day. Yeah. And um, they go in, and she becomes the one that he becomes kind of her mentor, even it, even reluctantly because she didn't he didn't want to do it. Yeah. He becomes I mean, her Jedi master. <laughs> wow. Look at that. <laughs> but uh, I mean, that's how those two meet. Now, we kind of need to talk about the true knot. Oh, yeah. That group. And this is my biggest gripe of the movie. I want more. Like right. If these two, if this group has been together as long as uh, Rose the Hat was talking about when uh, Grandfather, I think that was his name, uh, was cycling, talking about, you know, through Roman empires and right. all of that, going all the way back then. How long have they been together? How old are these people? You know what I mean? What's behind it? What's the mythology behind it? That, that's the that's the. I mean, I'm, ta- I'm I'm nitpicking here, but that's the only thing I would say I wanted more of. Yeah, I get you on that. I mean, they are good villains, dude. Like this group. I mean, they're evil. They're I mean, they're they're child killers, so of course yeah, they're evil. Yeah. Um, but the funny thing about this movie is that you get so inside of their little group and their inner workings and how they feel about each other. There are moments where you f- actually forget how evil that they are. Like they're, you have to keep reminding yourself that no matter how charming Rose the Hat is, or you know how much of a family this little unit feels like, um, you know these are soul sucking vampires that that kill children. Yeah, it, it's funny how this movie really gets you introduced to these characters. And yeah, you're right. You leave it kind of like, well, these are like interesting <laughs> as far as just not only characters, but just like, what's their history? How did they meet each other? How did they find out, you know, are these people that have, that have had the shining themselves and then were crossed over to this immortal being form? I like, I think that's what it is based on uh, snake by Andy. Yeah. I think she had the shining and she had the ability to put people to sleep with it. Right. And even when they start discussing Abra, they go back and forth whether or not they need to use her for her steam, they call it, for her essence to sort of feed so they can live longer. Or would it be better to turn her to, to, uh, you know, have her within her group? So I think you're right. You know, this is something that Danny could have ended up being. 
you know, later in the film, as we get the showdown at the Overlook between Danny Mm -hmm. and Rose the Hat, she's like, boy, how did we miss you? And, uh, you know, this could have been a road that Danny eventually went down. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, we, we see it right out the gate. And at that campsite with that little girl, she goes wandering away from the, the pink flowers. Yeah. And she finds Rose the Hat and she starts, you know, showing her magic tricks. And then they all kind of, you know, swarm on her. Yeah. And at that time, we don't know what's really going on. Right. We had no clue. I mean, that's a rough way to start a movie. I'm, I mean, yeah. the older I get and the more I'm, you know, I have family and young kids, that, that don't that I don't take well to it anymore. It's not like I ever took well to it at all, but it, right. it, yeah. it hits when- home more. Exactly. When you're a dad, you start, yeah, you feeling that a little bit. That's more of a gut punch. And, you know, I got shades of Pennywise and Georgie, the kind of that opening where, uh, you know, Georgie met a, a, a horrible fate. Um, so you learn right from the get go that this Rose the Hat, even though she's beautiful, she, the actress is beautiful. She's yeah. very charming. Um, this group is like no joke. They're they're disgusting. They're evil. And you see, you start to get the inner workings of them. They're kind of this traveling gypsy band, you know, in RVs that kind of travel the country, sniffing out these uh, these individuals and mostly kids with The Shining. So we even see later in the movie these this group. They're kind of starving because apparently there's not as many people with The Shine these days it was kind of funny uh the guy crow daddy one of one of the group he kind of mentions to rose he's like i don't know if it's uh, cell phones or netflix or what but there's just not enough (laughs) there's not enough food out there for us anymore um yeah they're 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 lying or rose's line to us thank but andy was you know eat well live long mm -hmm. it's kind of like that that's what they do they they hunt down these kids uh we haven't even talked about the you know the baseball player yeah you see that about halfway through the movie, kind of like what they do again. It was another example, which is just horrifying. They, they, they're like fear and pain purify steam. It's like, yeah. oh man, come on. <laughs> During this point where they have this, this young baseball player and they're, they're murdering him, Abra has a bad dream and she sees it. She sees the whole thing. And because her ability is so strong with the shining, um, Rose the Hat can actually sense her. She can sense that Abra is peeking in on them as they're doing it. And of course, this freaks Rose out because apparently because of the distance, how far away Abra is, nobody should be able to peek on, in on them. So she must be really powerful. So of course, she becomes a target for the true knot. Well, is that too. I think she said uh, Rose tried to reach into her and yeah. Abra pushed her out. Yeah. And Crow Daddy didn't believe her. It's like, no one's been that strong. No one can overpower you. And uh, that that freaked him out immediately, too. Yeah. Later in the grocery store, as, as Abra's trying to kind of develop her powers a bit, she, she attacks she, her. She Amazing. mentally, yeah, she mentally tracks down Rose. And they kind of play this uh, this cat and mouse game mentally. And Rose the Hat, you know, feels more of that power. So, of course, she's enticed more to find her. And she does kind of this meditation one night to to find Abra as she's sleeping. And she does. She sort of transports herself mentally to the kid's bedroom, only to find out that this was a trap that uh, Abra had set for her. And she she's scared. I mean, Abra is powerful, dude. Yeah, no, I wouldn't mess with Abra either. I mean, no. she's a bad she's like little girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it freaks Rose out because uh, she barely got away. I mean, she ended up, like, uh, getting her oh, hand caught in that, fi- yeah, that filing and- cabinet. And yeah. she had to pull it out, and it, like, scraped the skin right off her hand. And she was truly injured coming back from that cerebral plane or whatever. And by that point, it was on. It was like, oh, that this kid is our mission, and um, they, they go to find her physically. Yeah, they th- she thinks she can attack us. Yeah. Who, she, who does she think she is? Exactly. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, that happens. And then she starts, she sees, she gets a hold of Danny, and, or Dan, 
and he tells Billy about what they need to go do. They need to go to Nebraska or wherever it is. That's a weird twist if it's Nebraska. <laughs> oh, you know what? I think it was Iowa, like Field of Dreams. Iowa. Okay, Iowa. Yeah. Nebraska, <laughs> Iowa. You know, same difference. Yeah. <laughs> to uh, find this uh, the boy and get the glove. Yeah. So basically, she can track all of them because they've all touched that glove. Uh, Billy goes as he's kind of riding with Danny up there. He's like, well, two things. Either my, my best friend is crazy, which I can live with. Or he's telling the truth, and that's just too terrifying for me to deal with. <laughs> yeah, those two things, and they find they're digging, and he's telling a story about last time he has smelled this smell when he was a hunter. Yeah. And then they find the body, and it's just, he, he basically, he goes and gets sick, and then they turn around and head back and give Abra the glove. And Dan tells Abra to tell her dad what's going on, because they're coming for her. Yeah. Yeah, Dan, at this point, he knows that the true knot is after her, so he he needs to get to her before they do. And Dad doesn't believe that, not at all. And then they show up, and she does something and freaks him out. He's sitting there pouring rum or something in the glass, and he's shaking while he's pouring it and drinking it and the whole deal. And Yeah, that was a shortcut, basically, to get the parents uh, on board. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) With uh, with Uncle Danny. Well, from there, they have a bit of a a trick play, right? To where they're going to use Abra as bait. So Abra kind of like astral projects herself to the woods. And the the, most of the true not go to get her, including Snakebite Andy and some of the other, you know, true not crew that we get to learn who they are and their different characters throughout the movie. Basically, everybody except Rose the Hat and we find out later crow daddy are not there in these woods they all get taken out between billy and danny with their hunting rifles they take out the true knot they shoot them i mean they're they're immortal but they're not yeah Yeah. they're not invincible (laughs) so so they die there's like this gunfight um they end up taking out this back and forth i think the last one to stay alive was snakebite andy the one who could suggest you to do things before she dies completely she uh, tells billy to kill himself which then he points the gun on himself and no. now there's there's there was only danny left standing in the middle of the woods meanwhile we find out the crow daddy actually did go to where abra was physically and kidnap her killer dad and kidnapper yeah that's always gut wrenching he's like dad's dead now it's like <laughs> he didn't stand a chance yeah yeah but how danny actually gets the upper hand once again and reunites with abra is that he and abra start speaking telepathically and danny takes over her body for a bit which is a cool little trick yeah it's so funny you know there was potentially in this movie you could start like not going with the different powers that the shining you know it's almost like the force you know what i mean like well what else can the force do like you know yeah. the shining can't do that come on but they they tell the story in such an interesting way with the back and forth with these characters that you're just you're just going with it the whole time so yeah you really don't question it yeah, so when Abra is in the back of this van being driven by Crow Daddy and she's drugged and, you know, he's he thinks he's won the day taking his uh, prize back to Rose, you know, she wakes up for a second time, but then it's no longer Abra there. It's actually Danny and he starts he's like, "Oh, shoot, I feel hungover. I haven't felt this way in years." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and Crow Daddy's kind of giving her second looks. And Danny actually, you know, he knows that Abra is fully tied up in, in a seatbelt and he realizes that or he notices that Crow Daddy is not because they're so, you know, used to being immortal that they don't take precautions like having a seatbelt. So he makes Crow Daddy crash the van. He gets ejected through the front windshield and he dies. So now we've only got Rose the Hat left out of the True Knot. We've got Dan and we've got Abra and Dan and Abra reunited at a hotel somewhere. Uh, outside of town. Yeah, and you see Rose the Hat screaming 
Yeah. yeah. When each of them die, like she feels it. Oh, well, she just lost her entire family, essentially. So now you know how pissed she is. Oh, she goes into the van and she like uncorks all the freaking uh, all the steam. Yeah, yeah, and she's sucking it up, becoming some like Hulk smash super shredder thing. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, shredder with the uh, TGRI ooze? No, she's super rose. (laughs) Yeah, so Dan Dan's like, you know, we have to go to the hotel. Yeah, and 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 Amber's like, hold on, that place you said that's not safe. She's like, hold on, why? And uh, she said, if it's not safe for us, it's not safe for her. Exactly. So they're figuring, you know, put them on even playing ground, which was cool, dude. When they were driving up there in the shot going over the lake with the, the little island of the trees. And you start getting the music from The Shining. Dude, that was, the, it was the underscore, the, it was low, but you could yeah. hear it. The music was amazing. But they get up there, and I thought it was cool how they, you, when you first see it, when they're going over, they go through the tunnel. And they pull up, and all of a sudden, you see the hotel sitting up there, all boarded up. Yeah. And you hear the music. And he's like, he tells her to stay because he needs to go wake up the hotel. I'm thinking, oh, hell yeah, here we go. (laughs) Dude, it's fantastic. And there are some critics who are like, oh, man, this final part of this movie was like so much fan service. Like, they hated it. I loved every bit of it because it was so well done. Like, the set of The Shining, like The Shining, the Overlook Hotel that set is famous. I mean, the carpet, the the hallways, like, there's no getting around it. I mean, that was the setting of that first movie, and you, you got to know every intricate detail. Uh, room 237, uh, the maze, that staircase where Jack Nicholson is walking mm-hmm. up, give me the bat, Wendy, give me the bat. <laughs> you know, I mean, all of it's famous, and everything is done incredibly well. Like, it looks exactly like they just went back to that set from 1980. Yeah. And uh, boy, as he's walking through the halls and all the lights start turning on by themselves just because they feel Danny's power back in the hotel and the ghosts start coming alive again. I loved it. Yeah. Oh, I liked how he went into his like into his like mind and basically opened up all the boxes mm-hmm. and released all the work that he has done for the past, you know, 20 years. Yeah. Of, you know, putting all these you know things aside so it doesn't hurt him to go ahead and, you know, work in their favor. Yeah, he turns he turns the Overlook Hotel into a trap. Kind of the same way where he took agency and became the victor over the ghosts. Now he's using the hotel itself as a trap for Rose the Hat. And man, it just gave you chills just watching it. Danny says as much, but Rose doesn't know where she's standing. You know, she's as she's as confident as ever, kind of strolling up to Danny and Abra like she's going to win the day over these two. Yeah. Um, and they get into a tussle. So Rose the Hat, she enters the Overlook Hotel. Uh, Danny and Abra already in there, and she thinks she's about to win the day. They're in that main hall with the big staircase. Rose is kind of standing in front of the typewriter where uh, all work and no play makes Jack a doll boy, right? But all of a sudden, she wakes up, and she's in the snowy maze outside, and she assumes that she's uh, in Abra's head because Abra's there with her and she starts slicing her with a knife over and over again. And Abra's kind of getting one over on her. And she finally catches Abra. And when she does, we see one of these boxes that Danny is about to put her into, just like he put the other ghosts in these boxes. But she catches on to it quicker. She realizes that she's not in Abra's mind. She's in Danny's. And as soon as she realizes it, she kind of overpowers their projection to her and she wakes up again in this hall. And that's when she starts making her way and, and walking towards Danny, they're gonna get into a physical scrape. Yeah, uh, they tell uh, Abra to run. Yeah, you know, get out of here now. This is between the those two. Yeah, and the Rose Hat's like, how we miss you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's she's impressed. 
Oh, like, and she wow. gets on top of him. She, even though he's got the axe, right? He he tries to his best to defend, but uh, you well, know she's she, hawked up though. So. Yeah, <laughs> she's totally uh, super rose, and she gets you know she takes advantage. She basically nicks him in the carotid artery in his thigh uh, with the axe. So you know that's not a good thing for Danny. She gets on top of him. She starts using that wound to suck the steam from him. And she's like in ecstasy because she's like, oh, you taste like whiskey. Like she loves it. Um, and meanwhile, this is the part where Danny starts opening up the rest of the boxes and yeah. the ghosts of the Overlook come out. <laughs> but we, we even skipped over what he did. One of the first things he did when he walked into the hotel, he went down to the boiler room, basically flipped the breakers and everything, turned all the power on and also went to the boilers and basically cranked them. Yeah. And I mean, he knew he knew the ending. He knew he wasn't walking out. Yeah, exactly. His job was to stop Rose the Hat and get Abra out, and that was his main objective. Yeah. So these ghosts, they basically they 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 get on Rose. They consume her. Rose the Hat. You know, <laughs> rest in hell. <laughs> it's just she the hat now. <laughs> yeah, just the hat. Um, but then of course what happens, I mean, you still got the ghosts of the overlook. Now they're out, man. And they go and they possess Danny. Yeah. Yeah. Then he's going after Abra now. Yeah. So he's running after Abra and he told, I mean, he's able to break it at one point and he's like, I told you to run, get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the, the same way that Jack Nicholson chased him, you know, when he was a kid, now he's limping with an ax towards her and, uh, she, he's able to break through though, because he's not his father. He's, he's Dan Torrance. He has a better grasp of what this hotel is and the power that it has over him. And he's able to kind of break free of these ghosts. And from that point, Abra is able to escape. She gets out of the hotel. He's able to go back down to the boiler room and ensure that this place comes down in fire. Yeah. When you know, when it started catching fire, when it went in front of the door and you knew he wasn't leaving, uh, and then the whole place burnt down. Then you see like fire trucks, things coming up you know, side of the mountain. Yeah. Which uh, must have been a, a chore <laughs> for them to get up there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But you see the you know the you know the building burning and her standing in front of it, and then it just basically jumps to her living room, I mean her bedroom. Oh, Abra's, yeah, yeah, it jumps to Abra's bedroom. She's sitting there, she's talking to Dan. You're like, hold on, I had the WTF moment. Like, hold on, right. what happened? Like, how the heck did he get out of there? Like, did he get out out or did he not? It didn't dawn on me that he became her like mentor. Dick. Her, he was going to do to her what Dick Halloran did for him. Yeah, teach her how to control things. If she needs to actually, you know, learn how to build that box because she was in the Overlook Hotel and if they start coming after her. And actually, I think they did. I think you the do. lady in the tub is in her bathroom. She walks in there and shuts the door and basically you got to make the assumption that, you know what, she just slammed the box on her. She's our new superhero, man. I mean, she consoles her mom. She says, hey, mom, grandma's good. Dad's good. You know, there is an afterlife. Our souls are, are good after we pass on from this coil. And her mom's like, you know, satisfied, you know, she's got a weird kid, but she loves her and <laughs> they're going to be, kid. you know, have have a happily ever after, right? And uh, when her mom walks away, she turns to the bathroom and there's the old uh, bathtub witch ghost lady summoning yeah. her in. And she, she walks in there with no fear, just the way Danny did in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And you know that these overlooked ghosts don't, they're not going to stand a chance against Abra. <laughs> not, not in the world. Now, one thing I would like to know is, are there more people like Rose the Hat and the True Knot. Are they just a group? And it says, for instance, like vampires. There's different right. groups of affiliations of vampires. Do you think it's similar? Like, are there more of them? 
Well, I think Abra and Ghost Danny have a bit of the conversation towards that. I think Danny even says, you know, I know the True Knot is gone. I don't know if there are others like them out there, maybe better, maybe worse, but you have to do what you have to do, essentially. So Abra knows, and basically he tells her to shine on, basically telling her to, I used to tell you to, to keep things hidden, to, to not be yourself, uh, but from now on, you know, embrace the shining and, and find others out there like you. So overall, I think we both enjoyed Dr. Sleep. Any final thoughts? Uh, I want more. Honestly, I would like to see more of Abra. I'd like to see more of, or maybe even a prequel, uh, maybe a spinoff of The Knot. Right. The True Knot. Like, I like to, I kind of said this earlier, I like to know more about their mythology. Where did they come from? How did they start? Are there more of them? Uh, just because we killed this little group here, you know, the True Knot, are there more of their type feeding on kids with the, uh, with the shine? I'm right there with you. I think the general consensus when this movie was being made was that everybody was afraid that a sequel to The Shining was coming out so many years later, almost 30 years later from the original movie. Plus, The Shining is just so well thought of. Um, people were scared that this was just going to be a total disaster and unnecessary. Um, but it turned out to be a hell of a good movie. Yeah, no, it wasn't just a money grab. It was actually, it, it, it worked out. I was, I was very pleased with it. And um, I mean, I, I wouldn't mind seeing another one, but I can see why they wouldn't do another one too. Just because, but I mean, we're in a, a day and age now where if a movie does well, they're going to continue. I mean, look at right. the Fast and Furious series to be, just to be, a, be right there. I mean. Yeah, give they, me they, a they, give me a Netflix series with the uh, with kind of a grown up Abra finding other people with The Shining. I'd there like we that. go, a Netflix uh, and uh, Amazon Prime. Yeah, something. It doesn't have to be a movie. Give us like a a good you know ten part series. It can only be one season. Will be fine. Just give us more of that world. Yeah, where you apparently have a world where there's these take on vampires. There's real legit ghosts and evil places and people with superpowers like this movie and the the original shinings kind of set up this Stephen King world where all kinds of interesting characters and, and events can take place so I think there's more stories to be said here so hopefully somebody down the road takes the reins or maybe even if uh, Stephen King goes ahead and does like a like a short story series yeah like a 10 book series and he does that first and then they use that as their you know source material right I mean, there's a lot of different ways they can go, and I'll be happy with anything as long as they go forward with it. I don't want to see it stop here, but sometimes stopping is sometimes the, the better <laughs> of the two options. Yeah, I know that we're definitely stopping here. Thrills and Chills for October 2020 is coming to an official end. That was the last movie. That is awesome. I, I, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and jump into that old Buick beat-up car, and we're going to cruise right into that cheesy corn and we're, we're gonna keep on going what mm, i love cheesy corn there we go popcorn cheesy popcorn you know, hey. <laughs> yeah whatever <laughs> <laughs> so okay dude you know i don't drink with ghosts you know why why they just can't handle the booze <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah, i got I like a genuine laugh i like it even though i want booze <laughs> That's funny. Uh, ghosts at the bar, just like Jack Torrance here. But uh, <laughs> hey, speaking of ghosts, uh, where do they go on vacation? Where do ghosts go on vacation? Where do they go? Malibu. Malibu. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> we got two genuine laughs. <laughs> and they're both like the same exact joke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, I mean, that's the dad jokes for this week, this month. Uh, we're going to be ditching the boo jokes and going back to the Terrible dad jokes next I'm week. ready for November. <laughs> <laughs> if you guys haven't been paying attention, first of all, how dare you? Second of all, we are doing Dad and Rock High Voltage. Uh, we live stream every 
Friday night at 10.30. We've put out, uh, what, three shows now? Yeah. Uh, they were just basically tune-up shows uh, for what is coming. What is coming there, Sean? Mandalorian Season 2 starts Friday, October 30th, and we are going to be there for every episode. At 10.30. So if you want to see us, see what our reactions are, uh, we'll talk about it. I mean, it's going to be similar to what the, we did last year. But instead of it being uh, only on uh, audio, this will be a live streaming only. We're going to try to get you guys to come here, check us out, check out what we got going on here, other little projects we have on our YouTube channel. So when you go there, like us, subscribe to us so you don't miss any of that uh, Dad and Rock fun. Yeah, so join us each Friday, 1030 p.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and Periscope on Twitter as we go live to discuss The Mandalorian Season 2 episode by episode. And join us on dadandrock.com. Find links to our social media pages and past episodes. And our shop, of course. I went and got me some uh, Dad and Rock throw pillows, so maybe <laughs> I'll throw, uh, throw them on social media. I don't know. Uh, but I love them. Go ahead and get your own. No, absolutely. And I think it's a good place for us to go ahead and say... It's a Dad and Rock podcast signing off for the evening. Catch you guys on Friday. Outlander! (laughs) Outlander!